All right, book of Mark chapter 6 and verse number 36. Everybody say amen when they're there. Book of Mark 6 and 36 says, Send them away, that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. Now I want to preach to you on this simple subject, letting your past speak to your present. Letting your past speak to your present. If you're not familiar with this story, uh, there is a great multitude that has been following Jesus for three days. They have now been without food uh, for some time. They are hungry. And Jesus uh, performs his first mass miracle, if I could call it that. And um, in verse 36, we are reading uh, a conversation that takes place between Jesus and the disciples. And we're going to talk a little bit about the tensions in this conversation and uh, what they have to say to us today. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is powerful and it is anointed. Lord, I'm asking you that you would touch me today and help me to preach to your people. They're a wonderful people. They have your name invoked over them. They have your blessings over them. They have your protection and your provision over them. I pray today, God, that you would enable me for the sole purpose of edifying and encouraging the saint. Lord, I pray that you would touch me from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet with your precious anointing. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. In our text this morning, we are reading the account of one of Jesus' most notable miracles. Most, if not all of us, are familiar with it in some way or another. What most of us rarely stop to ponder, however, is that it's the miracle that almost never happened. In fact, the disciples strongly discouraged Jesus from performing this miracle. You heard me right. They wanted him not to do it. Jesus' own disciples requested for the feeding of the multitudes to not take place. They did not think that feeding 5,000 people was possible. They were just being rational and logical. Three days in the wilderness, 5,000 men, not including women and men, there's just no way to feed them all. Jesus could not possibly produce the resources that were needed. Perhaps there were other ways of feeding 5,000 people that did not require miracles, something more practical, something more sensible. Unfortunately, practical and sensible aren't always sympathetic. The disciples suggest to Jesus, send them away, that they may go into the country roundabout and into the villages and buy themselves bread. In other words, let them be responsible for themselves. It's not our fault they followed you. But Jesus had a different perspective. He says, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I will not send them away fasting lest they faint in the way. Jesus very clearly and candidly let his disciples know, these people have walked with me and listened to me for three days. 
Therefore, I will assume responsibility for their well-being. Because if I send them away, like you suggest, their, their future is grim. I will feed them. As we all know, with nothing more than five loaves and two fishes and a blessing, Jesus fed this great multitude. If what happened during the course of this miracle was an isolated event, I would not be preaching a sermon on it this morning. But time and time again, we see that Jesus was often discouraged from doing miracles, even by his own disciples. In John chapter 11, Martha has a brother who has passed away. He has already been buried for several days. And Jesus comes with the crazy idea of raising him from the dead. Martha attempts to discourage Jesus from raising her brother from the dead, telling him that her brother has now been dead for far too long. In Luke chapter 5, Peter attempts to discourage Jesus from having him cast his net into the sea one more time in an attempt to catch fish. Peter was convinced that Jesus didn't understand the complicated dynamics of catching fish. After all, he was a carpenter and not a fisherman. In Mark chapter 5, a man by the name of Jairus has a very sick daughter. He sends or goes himself actually to get Jesus to come back to his house so that he can pray for his sick daughter. And as they're coming back to Jairus' house, a servant attempts to discourage Jesus from coming into the house to pray for Jairus' daughter, informing him that it's too late. The girl is dead. And when Jesus comes over anyways, there is a group of mourners who have begun to ridicule and scoff Jesus in another attempt to discourage him from healing Jairus' daughter. In all of these instances, had Jesus listened to the people, the miracles that have inspired thousands of generations to believe in Jesus would have never happened. There's a rather simple message in all of this, and that is this. Seeing is not believing. In most cases, the people discouraging Jesus from doing a miracle had seen him do miracles in the past. But now their faith was telling them to inform Jesus of his limitations. We know you can heal the sick, but that's different than raising the dead. We know you can turn barrels of dirty water into wine, but that's different than turning a sack lunch into a meal for 5,000. We know you can command the sea, but that's different than commanding the fish to come out of the sea. Somewhere these men and women who personally knew Jesus were now refusing to let one set of experiences speak to another. Their faith was resisting the opportunity to let the past speak to the present. It was the equivalent of someone letting their knowledge of addition not help them in algebra or their knowledge of the alphabet not help them to read and write. I want to preach to you today that the things we've experienced must be allowed to speak to the things we've never experienced. I don't know of anyone personally that's ever lived in a time like 2021. Praise God. But I got news for you. The faith you had before is what you're going to need now. And the experiences you've had before, amen, need to speak to the experiences that we are having now. What God has done in our past should not be kept back from interacting with our present. God did not do many amazing things in your life with the intention that you would forget about it all and face new and un 
expected complications, amen, without them. Yesterday's miracle was preparation for today's problems. In an age of information, trends, and technology, it can appear to us that the present is more relevant than the past. We're always trying to keep up with the latest clothes, the latest gadgets, the latest, you name it, praise God. And we tend to look down on the past, but that's not how you live for God, amen. Living for God, you allow the past to inform the present, and you allow the past to inform the future. It is easy to think that the past represents a step backwards, but that's just not the case. The past is the foundation for the present. Amen. Hallelujah. Somebody say praise God. Let's give the Lord a hand cap for praise. Hallelujah. Amen. I want to be honest with you. Praise God. We are all in for a ride in 2021. I know that there are some people that are optimistic. I would just say you're naive. Praise God. But I am telling you the truth. We are about to face some complicated times. Amen. It's not complicated for, for God, but it's complicated for us. And so the question is, what do we do? I'll tell you what we do. We rely on God, who's done so many things on, in our lives in the past to help us in the present. Praise God. I don't believe God has healed me in the past to make me think that he can't do it again. I don't believe that God has provided for my family in the past to make me think he can't do it again. I don't believe that God has done miracles in your life, amen, in the past for you to just throw it all away and say this is a new day, a new age, and God can't handle this. I don't want to be of them that discourages Jesus to do less miracles. I don't want to be of that crowd that's trying to, amen, jog Jesus' memory and help him to remember that he has limitations. We serve a God that has no limitations. The Bible says of Jesus that his kingdom has no end. The Bible says of Jesus that he is the everlasting father. He is the prince of peace. Amen. Those are all situations that have no limitations. Praise God. Jesus was doing good 2,000 years ago. He's doing good right now. Hallelujah. Oh, let's praise God just for a few seconds. Hallelujah. Amen. I know this may not be the most complicated sermon, amen, but I just feel to remind somebody today that God's done a lot of good things and he's going to keep doing a lot of good things. Praise God. I want you to stop this morning and consider the story of Joseph, the great patriarch. Joseph was 17 when his brothers betrayed him. He was 30 when he, finally set, when he was finally set free from an Egyptian jail. For those 13 years, Joseph had to let the dreams God gave him as a boy speak to the heartbreaking experiences he endured as a man. You know, with time, life does get more complicated. I know people that really try to tout the fact that, you know, as I've gotten older, things just get a lot simpler. That is not true. As we get older, things get more complicated. When Joseph was a boy, he was just dealing with je jealous brothers. But as he got older, he started having a deal with snake women, praise God. He started having a deal, amen, with thievery and stealing and, and twisted individuals and jails and corruption. He started having to deal with a whole new set of experiences, amen, that he had never had to deal with before. But Joseph only had one thing to hold on to, the things that God had told him in the past. And he took those words and he took those dreams and he took that comfort from the past and he allowed it to speak to his present situation. And when women 
women were tempting him to sin, he was able to stand up and say, I will not do this. This is a sin against God. And this is a sin against your husband. Praise God. And when people were trying to convince him to be a corrupt individual, he was able to stand firm on the experiences he he had had in the past. And when he was sitting in a jail cell thinking he'd never get out. You know, it's you know, it wasn't like the jails today. We get this these pictures, you know. You know, I know people that go to jail on purpose, you know, to bulk up and stuff. They, you know, they're gonna they're gonna get a few meals, they're gonna eat, they're gonna work out, they're gonna get to actually see a few friends. Uh, I know people that 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 fare better in jail than they do in 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 public. These were not those kinds of jails. These were dark dungeon-like, horrible places. People were fed. Scraps, disease was rampant. And there was, it's one thing, you know, I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I've been in jail. And, uh, you know, it's one thing to be in jail for a few hours. And you know your mom's coming to get you. That's, you know, that's, that's pretty manageable. Uh, but it's another thing to just not even know. You know, they didn't have like a legal court system back then where they were like, you're going to go to jail for six months and you could start counting the days. You just, you went in and you didn't know if you were coming out. But Joseph knew he was coming out. Not because any uh, legal authority had told him so, but because God had told him so. God had told him, amen, you're going to have a day when all these dreams I gave you as a little boy are going to come to pass. And he held on to the past and he let it inform his present and it gave him hope for the future. I'm preaching to somebody right now. Amen. I don't, I don't, I have, I have absolutely no idea what the next four years are going to be like. Neither do you, neither does anybody else. I have no idea what the future of the Rona is, praise God. And neither do you and neither does anybody else. And I have no idea, praise God, who we might all, amen, come into contact with that might put us in danger. But I do know this, that if God has ever spoken to you, if God has ever given you a word, if God has ever promised you something, he's going to bring that to pass. Because God saw this day, and it didn't affect him like it's affecting us. And God saw this hour, and it didn't affect him like it's affecting us. And God saw this very second of your life, and this very minute of your life, praise God. And it didn't affect him, praise God. When God spoke to you a year ago, two years ago, 10 years ago, 30 years ago, praise God. He had this day in mind, praise God. I don't know about you, but I feel like this hour and this day is a good time to hold on to a word from God. Hallelujah. And perhaps you're saying, I've never gotten a word from God. Well, then it's time for you to go get you one, praise God. Amen. It's time for you to hit the prayer room, praise God, until God talks to you. Amen. Well, I don't believe God talks. Well, then you are mistaken my friend we serve a God that speaks he spoke the world into creation praise God he commanded peace on the storms hallelujah he preached from the hillsides of Galilee he is not a God that is dead he is a God that's alive hallelujah and he's alive and well and he's talking today oh let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise hallelujah Psalm 63 and 6 says when I remember thee upon my bed And meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. This is a psalm written by David. And most biblical expositors agree that it was written when David was running from Absalom, his son. 
And if you've never read the story, I, I believe it's in 1 Samuel 15 through 17, if my memory serves me correct. And uh, it's a very complicated situation. Uh, it was a very different situation than the ones David had dealt with in the past. David's life is a perfect example of how complicated things can get as we get older. When David was a boy, he was a shepherd. He took care of sheep. That was his job. And uh, from everything we could tell, he occasionally had to go serve his brother's lunch. Praise God, he had a little catering business. Amen. Uh, that's, that life is, is rather simple. But as he got older, things got complicated. One day as a teenager, an old man knocks on the door. Opens the door. Surprise, it's the prophet Samuel. Samuel cracks open a horn with oil inside of it and anoints David and says, you are the next king of Israel. A few weeks later, David hears of a great big giant. You can see how things are getting more complicated. David hears about a great big giant that's challenging the armies of God and saying that he wants to fight a man. And wouldn't you know it, God sends him a boy. Because <laughs> God never answers the enemy's prayers, praise God. And so he requested a man, but instead he got a little red-headed, freckled Jew. And David steps up to the giant and slings a rock and knocks him down and demands that he gets a wife in return. Praise God. There, that's how you get married right there. <laughs> and all of a sudden, life gets more complicated because the girl he marries is the daughter of the king. But he is a king who's been fired and just doesn't know it. He has already disobeyed God. God has already told him, you had a chance to make it, but you failed. And now I will take away the kingdom from you and give it to somebody better than you. And David's life is now getting really complicated because this king has lost the spirit of God and it's been replaced by a tormenting demonic spirit. And the only thing that can get this devil to go away is music. And David happens to be good on the slingshot and the harp. And so David begins to play for his father-in-law. And the devils leave. But as time goes, things get more complicated. One day it dawns on his father-in-law, you are that little punk that's going to take my place. And I'm not going to have it. But things were really complicated because that was his son-in-law. And not only his son-in-law, but it was his son's best friend. Life was so much more simple, just feeding sheep. And now he has to run from Saul. He comes over for dinner, and some of you uh, son-in-laws might relate, comes over for dinner, and Saul throws a javelin at him. <laughs> That's a complicated life. To go from feeding sheep to your father-in-law wanting to fight. And you thought your family had it rough. Praise God. And things don't stop there. David has to run from his father-in-law. Leave his wife. And when he finally does make it back home, 
his father-in-law has given away his wife to another man. Life's complicated. Through all these events, David had to let the past speak to his present. Because it would have been easy to lose sight of what God promised he was going to do. And said, you know what? It ain't working with my wife. It ain't working with the kids. It ain't working with my father-in-law. It ain't, none of this is working. But David didn't stop. He continued to hold on to the promises of God. He praised God. And here in Psalm 63, he said, he lets us know, you know what I did? Before I went to bed every night, I remembered all the things God had ever told me. The last thing I did was remind myself of the last thing God said. I didn't stay, the last thing I did was not stay up and read the news. The last thing I did was not read one more text about how my father-in-law hates me. The last thing I did was not think about how bad life has been. The last thing I did was remember how good God has been. The last thing I did was rehearse the words of the prophet when life was so much more simple. David finally takes the place of Saul, but it doesn't stop there. David has a son named Absalom who, who gets riled up. You know why? Because his brother raped his sister. And he says, somebody has to run to the defense of my sister. I'll do it. And so he kills his brother. Y'all don't know what you're missing by not reading the Bible. This is good stuff. This is better than Dallas, than as the world turns. Hallelujah. Praise God. Some of y'all don't remember that. Pray. I'm dating myself. Praise God. This is better than General Hospital. This is as the Torah turns. This is, this is good stuff. You won't find a better, you won't find two better books in the Bible than First and Second Samuel. Absalom turns on David. Absalom tells David, I'm going to get you. He hangs out on the outside of the palaces all day, turning people's hearts against his father. That's a complicated life. David loved Absalom. You know, David could play the harp, but he could hurt you. David was a man's man. David was actually pretty rough. Uh, I don't even have time to go into all the examples uh, of just how violent David was beneath the surface. The Lord told him, I, you can't even build me a house because you're so violent. You sing and stuff, but when you put the guitar down, I just can't handle you. Like, you're bloody. The Lord called him bloody. David was not afraid of anyone. He was not afraid of giants. Uh, David had an entourage. He had a squad with him that were roughnecks through and through. These were, these were tough men. What David was worried about was hurting Absalom. And he was worried about his sons. His, his men hurting his son. And so David said, I got to squash this before I or one of my men kills my son. And so David gathered up all his men and he left. And Absalom, in utter foolishness, chases after his dad. Life is complicated for David. 
And David is trying to figure out a way to get back into the kingdom, not kill his son, not have somebody else kill his son. And you thought the White House had it bad. And what does David do? He goes to bed every night thinking. He, he said meditating. You know, in current times, the word meditation means to empty out your mind. Like, like people really try to sit down and think about nothing. Biblical meditation is the exact opposite. Biblical meditation, in fact, in Hebrew, the word for biblical meditation means to mumble. It actually means to, to say things over and over back to yourself. Biblical meditation is when you actually fill your mind up, not empty it out. And David says, I fill my mind up every night. And I remember that you helped me figure out how to feed sheep. You helped me figure out how to fight a giant. You helped me figure out how to maneuver through jealous brothers. You helped me figure out how to, how to, how to, how to handle uh, an ascension into the kingship. You helped me how to walk through my father-in-law's kingdom and not get killed. You helped me how to deal with my father-in-law. You helped me how to deal with my wife who left me for another man. You helped me to figure out, amen, how to manage roughnecks, amen, uh, uncontrollable bloody men. You taught me. He said, you... you you, you've, you've taught my hands how to war and my fingers how to fight. Amen. He said, you've shown me all these complicated things. And now I'm here trying to do the right thing. And I don't want people to get hurt. And I don't want situations to go awry. And I'm, I'm believing that how you helped me then, you're going to help me right now. And I'm believing that just the way you helped me get through all these situations in the past, you're going to help me get through all these situations in the present. Amen. I am telling you right now. Amen. There are some of you that you might be thinking I have no idea what I'm going to do these situations are way over my head you are absolutely 100% right these situations you are going through are way over your head life is complicated you don't have all the answers you don't know what you're going to do with your kids you don't know what you're going to do with your oldest son your oldest daughter you don't know what's going to happen with praise God your job your finances your health your economy but guess what God knows hallelujah and guess what God has been doing a lot of things in your life God has been doing a lot of things in your life up to this point and you need to let the miracles that God has done in the past speak to your present and you need to let you need to remind yourself I sat in this in that chair over there this morning praying and I had a situation that I needed an answer to right now before church and you know what I started doing I started reminding God of all the times he had talked to me before. I started thinking about, I started meditating on all the times I needed word and a direction from God, and he gave it to me, praise God. And I'm just telling you right now, as I begin to meditate, and as I begin to think about all the things that God had ever told me in the past, praise God, it made it a lot easier to deal with the situation in the present. I'm preaching to somebody right now. If God has ever answered a prayer in your life before, he's gonna answer a prayer now. If God has ever helped you amen in your family dynamic before he's gonna help you now <laughs> praise God so what do we do what is the actionable advice change your perspective we have a loss bias we tend to for, 
remember the things we lose more than the things we get. It is, we will, we will brew and fester over $5 we lost more than $5 we found. We will go and pick up a $20 bill that we find on the street and still be talking about, man, I remember that one time I lost 40 Finally getting it back. I remember this. I don't, I don't even know why I'm bringing this up, but I remember there was a time, I, th I think it was like three, three weeks in a row, I kept finding the exact same amount of money on the street. It was $85. It was some, some outrageous amount. You could ask my wife. I remember one day we were at Whole Foods, and I just opened the door to my car, and there was $85 right there. My wife was like, that's like the third time. <laughs> but, man, I remember every time $85. I've lost $85 out of my pocket. And I somehow remember that more. And, you know, in life, we tend to remember more the tragedies than the triumphs. I'm like anybody else here. I have, I, have, I have moments in my past that I don't even like to think about. I can, even as a Christian, I, I, as, as a Christian, as a minister, I promise you, I have moments in my past that if I think about them, I get anxiety. I am genuinely tormented by what happened at certain seasons in my life. I'm talking about hospital visits, bills. I'm talking about bad things. Phone calls I wish I never answered. Dilemmas I wish I never got myself into. But, as of lately, I've had to change my perspective. And I've, I've had to go back into those moments back into that past. And rather than say, I just hope I never go through that again, I've had to say, what good did God do in those moments? Because God did some amazing things in those moments. God, I, I can tell you of being in hospital rooms and God doing amazing things. I can tell you of having to stand by and cry watching my wife go to the hospital. Amen. And God doing some amazing things. Amen. I came to let you know today that God is in it all. Praise God. God is in the dark past. Praise God. That's how you made it out. Praise God. And you need, I'm, I'm preaching to somebody today. It's time for you to reach into the past. Praise God. If, if you're not careful, you'll find yourself telling Jesus, you know what? I, you, I get it. There's just some things we have to accept our fate. And I understand, Jesus, that you can't do nothing here. And I understand, Jesus, that it's just my time to go down. And I understand, Jesus, that the Titanic just has to sink. Amen. I'm telling you, that is not the response we should be giving God. Even if the Titanic does sink, praise God, we need to be letting God know, I believe in you. I know you'll keep me. I know. Amen. The apostle Paul was on a boat and God told him this boat is going down. Amen. But I'm going to keep you. And so when the waves hit and the storms came, amen, Paul knew this boat is not going to make it, but I am. Praise God. Because God gave me a word. Hallelujah. Sometimes the boat don't make it, but you will. Amen. Sometimes the car don't make it, but you will. Sometimes the house don't make it, but you will. Sometimes the job don't make it, but you will. Sometimes your health won't make it, but you will. Praise God. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching to you. Hallelujah. Amen. And so I close with this. James 1, 2 through 3. Some people may not know this, but the book of James is the first book in the New Testament. This was the first book 
in the New Testament. This was the first book ever written. This was the first book Christians ever read. And you know how that first book of the New Testament opens up? My brethren, count it all joy. When you fall into the same kinds of trials and temptations, no. Into diverse. You're about to get some diversity training right now. James says, hello, everyone. I want you to get happy. When you get hit with little problems, medium problems, big problems. I want you to count it all joy. When you start falling into that, the word temptations there doesn't mean to be tempted, though it does include that. The word temptations here means trials. means trials. He says, I want you to count it all joy. When you go through all kinds of stuff. I don't want you to just count the deposits. I want you to count the withdrawals. I want you to count the whole thing. I want you to do a good accounting of your life. I want you to look at the overdraft fees and the interest. I want you to look at the whole thing. I want you to get a full orb view. Don't just remember how horrible 2020 was. I want you to look at it and look at all the good things I did. And then balance all those things out. I close with this. I remember trying to learn algebra. I hated it. I hated it. Uh, fortunately, I have mathematicians in my family, so I got a lot of help. <laughs> but I remember my, my father and my uncle, both mathematicians, who kept trying to explain to me how you figure out the variable in algebra. And I guess I just, it just had never dawned on me, but my father began to explain to me, you don't know what this is, you know what this is, right? And your job is to balance it out, right? You, you got to make sure that what, what you have here is here. You got to balance it out. That's how you figure out the variable. You balance it out. And what you have on this side has to be on this side. And that's how God works life out. He balances it out. He balances. In fact, the Bible says of God that in him there is no shadow, no variable of turning. In other words, God has answers. He's not living in doubt. And he doesn't want you to live in doubt of his goodness, of his mercy, of his grace, of his love, of his miraculous working power. If you've, if you've ever been healed by God, raise your hand. Praise God. If you've ever gotten an answer to a complicated situation in your family, raise your hand. Praise God. Hallelujah. If you believe God gave you your wife or your husband, raise your hand. Praise God. <laughs> I'm telling you, he's got all the answers. 
There's no variable in him. There's no shadow of turning in him. Praise God. He can show you who to marry, and he can heal you in the hospital. Praise God. Amen. I'm telling you, hallelujah. And not only did God didn't just do that in the past. He's going to do that for us right here in the present. Praise God. He's going to do it for us in the simple times and in the complicated times. Praise God. My, let's all stand. My mother sent me a picture this morning. My mother sent me a picture this morning of myself. That's how I know I'm preaching to you what's right. I know, I know some folks are getting sleepy, but my mom sent me a picture of myself this morning when I was little. I don't know why she did it. I'm, I'm just receiving it as confirmation. But I looked at that picture and I said, man, it was all so simple then. A little hard, but simple. I, I know what a tomato sandwich is. <laughs> Some of y'all don't know what a tomato sandwich is. Praise God. Just live a little. I know what a tomato sandwich is. I know what it is to be poor. I know what it is to get socks for Christmas. Praise God. Yeah, I don't mind socks now. Like now I'm grown. I'm like, man, my mother-in-law gave me some socks the other day. I worn them out. But when you're little, that ain't cool. I remember one year I got a pair of socks. My, my, my sister got a bike. <laughs> I've never wanted to damage someone else's property so bad. But as I sat there and I looked at the picture, I, I had to get to church, but I was, I was about to text my mom. Life was a little, a little more simpler then. Harder, but simpler. But the God who kept us then is the God who's going to keep us now. And the God who helped us get to point A is going to help us get to point B and C and D. I have no idea who I'm preaching to today. I, I'd like to think I'm preaching to everybody. But the truth of the matter is, is I'm preaching to those of you that are scared, concerned, worried, and anxious. I'm preaching to those of you who your families have stuff going on. And at this point, you have no idea how it's going to work out. I'm preaching to you, to those of you that have children that you're really worried about. Look into the past and remember all the prayers that God has answered and begin using the faith you had there with the problem you have now. And God is going to move and God is going to give answers and God is going to touch hearts and God is going to heal bodies and God is going to do miracles. Oh, do you believe that today? Let's lift our hands right now. Let's pray. Come on, every hand lifted up. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. I bind anxiety. I bind fear and worry and torment. And God, I pray that your saints that have been living for you all this time, that have experienced miracles in the past, would begin to see miracles now in the present. I pray in the name of Jesus for the spirit of worry to dissipate. I pray in the name of Jesus for faith to triumph over your fears.